This morning we return to the book of Colossians, and if you have your Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're halfway through this book. If you don't have a Bible and need a Bible, we have Bibles available. They're usually on the back table in the back, and if you need one, you grab that Bible, you write your name in it, it's yours to keep. We'd love everybody to have the availability to read, not only here at church, but on their own. Uh, We'll get more Bibles if we run out, that's okay, you just take them. But we're in Colossians chapter 3 this morning, and what we've been looking at in the book of Colossians is this is that Jesus is supreme. He is totally supreme. So that's what we're going to look at again today. Anybody like the weather today? I'm totally in love with this weather today. Um, man, it just reminds me of a good Seattle day where you drink coffee and, and, and just know that life is good. Uh, and, and one of the best parts about it that I'm really in favor of is um, there's no gnats. Anybody just tired of gnats? I mean, I just feel like all summer I'm swatting my head like this, trying to get rid of gnats and mosquitoes. And you ever had that question of like, if Jesus is supreme, then why could he not figure out that gnats were a bad idea, right? Like if he made everything, then why does he have all these pests? And those are questions we can ask him one day, but it doesn't restrict us from knowing that he is supreme, that he created all things, he's king of all, that he rules all, and that he did this fascinating thing to save us. And real quickly, the scripture says this, that he made all things and part of those things were Adam and Eve and that they sinned and then immediately they were thrust towards death. That was the consequence of sin, that the wages of sin is death. And that has been passed on to all of us to where coming out of the womb, we just want to sin. But God, not wanting us to perish, but for us to have eternal life, set out on this plan to redeem us in the only way that he could. And that was to send somebody who could die in our place. That somebody couldn't have any sin. And so he sent his one and only son, Jesus God became flesh. And so the scripture tells us that Jesus took on flesh, that he lived and then he died for us, that sacrifice for us. But that three days later, he resurrected from the dead. And then he spent 40 days after that resurrection, proving that he was alive, eating with people, letting them touch him, speaking with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And after those 40 days that he ascended in the clouds up back to heaven, and it says that he sits at the right hand of the father, which means he has all authority. Everything has been given over to Jesus to rule and to reign for all of eternity. And that's the story of the Bible. That he did that and now he sits And what is great about that is he gives us this good news that he died for us and resurrected. And we've been looking in the scriptures about how he says when we ask for forgiveness, when we have been um, so convicted in our heart that he changes our heart. And we say, Lord, forgive me that he takes our sin off us. And he went and he nailed it to his cross. That was my debt. That was my sin. That was my death. He took it away from me. But then also he gave to me his righteousness. When I stand before God, he sees me as holy. Not because I was able to achieve holy and perfect, but because Jesus gave me his holy and perfect. That's what he has done. And Jesus, just just a quick side note, all that that he did, the living, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, all that was all foretold by prophets hundreds of years before he came. Specific things about what he did over 300 prophecies of what Jesus, who he was and what he would do specific things and then he accomplished all those things and 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 there was a a a skeptic by the name of josh mcdowell who who was like i'm going to prove this wrong he was a lawyer he went in i'm going to prove this wrong uh this jesus guy went into the scriptures and ended up seeing all the evidence and was like now i believe he went and did if you just took eight 
eight of the Old Testament prophecies and the way they worked out specifically in Jesus. And he did the math on this, that it would take one to the uh, one in 10 to the 17th power. I don't know math very well. One to the 10 to the 17th power, which is 17 zeros behind that one. So me, mathematician wise, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But he gave this illustration. Imagine that if you went and took and spread quarters over the whole state of Texas, two feet high. And then you went and marked one of those quarters. And then you took a person and blindfolded them and had them go out into Texas and pick up a quarter. And if he could get the one that was marked. That's the chances that it would take for one person in all of history to get just eight of those prophecies right. Now, that that makes more sense to me. Those odds seem unrealistic. And yet that's what Jesus did, not just with eight prophecies, over 300 of them. And it was all not to just be him saying, um, I'm fancy. Look what I can do. It was him to say, I did that to save you. I did that because I love you. And so Colossians has been showing us how he was the one who could do that, that he was the one who could save us. And now it's not up for you and I to try to live up to a law, to work it for ourselves. But he gives us our righteousness, our holiness. And now we get to live towards him in, 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 in a good life. And so here's what we get in Colossians chapter three. It says this. If then you have been raised with Christ. How many of you have already been resurrected? Now, right away, we would say, no, I haven't. Why? Because I haven't died yet. But the reality is, if you've already come to Jesus, the scripture has told us already in the baptism that's happened in your heart by the Holy Spirit, that you have already died to yourself. And you've died to try to uh, working by a law. You have died to your desires and your selfishness and your sin. You have already died and you have now been already raised in your heart into a new life. There's a new life in you that wasn't yours. It is Christ's, and he now lives in and through you. So you have been raised in Christ. At the first, it's like, I haven't died yet. If you're in Christ, you have. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me, right? And so it says, if you have been raised with Christ, so if you're a believer, you have been raised with Christ. It says here, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Remember when Christ ascended, he went and he sat at the right hand of God. He's in charge of all those things. And so this scripture says, seek him. Seek above. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a problem. What? Pastor's got a problem. Here's my problem. I got this thing. Many of you probably have the same thing. Anybody got one of these? It's magic. It lights up. Okay. And, 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 by this miraculous nature, my cell phone here that I keep in my pocket, the supercomputer that's in my pocket, can retrieve information from around the world. And some of the most amazing games that you can get that deal with candy and dinosaurs or whatever, I can get that on my phone. And so what I can do all day is I can walk around like this. Right? And I can seek things out on this phone. Now, the problem with that is people are finding that as people are so glued, as Jason Hudson gets so glued to his phone and all this excess of information that comes in, whether it be a a text message from my mom, who I love, or just a sports story about a basketball, that I'm so glued to seeking this thing that it's actually dangerous for what I'm doing. Right. If I'm seeking this thing in just in this moment, it doesn't allow me to seek the road correctly when I'm driving. 
just recent, I think it was just this last week in Honolulu, they made it illegal to be looking at your phone while you're walking through a crosswalk. Why? Because when your mind is what is right in front of you on what is kind of temporary, you're not seeking what is important beyond you. And the scripture is saying, stop seeking yourself and the things of this world. You need to be seeking the things that are above. You need to be seeking what's important, and that is Christ. Because I don't think we realize just how awesome it is that we have actually information about him. And this spiritual way of understanding how immense his love is and how holy he is. And speaking about his love, the scripture says that you need to be praying that you could even comprehend how awesome his love is because it's that extreme. But you should be seeking it. It's awesome. Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Who he was talking to was a bunch of people who needed to figure out how to eat. They needed to figure out how to have clothes. They needed to figure out how to, how to make life work. And Jesus said, you know what? Don't seek those things first. First seek the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness, that right relationship with him. And you know what? He's going to help you understand what needs to happen now in the temporary. When you are having your eyes on Jesus, the king, guess what? The king speaks directly into your life. You know what? We have a president of the United States, a Congress, we have mayors, and, we, and I haven't had one of them speak directly into my life yet. I'm still waiting. Now, they have effect on my life, but I've got a king in heaven who is in charge of everything in the universe, and he looks specifically into my life, and he can direct my life as only he can. He speaks to me. He talks to me. And he tells me my eyes should be on him and what's above so that I can actually know what's happening here. Because when we turn our way, eyes away from what's up there, I think we l- miss out and we, l- we, realize, we don't understand. We're even lacking anything. I remember when I was um, back in Seattle one time, uh, my brother had a connection to get us some tickets to the baseball game. The Mariners, the professional baseball team there. And he got us these tickets. And we looked at the tickets and they said something about club seats. And we're thinking, oh, yeah, club seats. That's going to put us right down on the field. Close enough where you can smell the sweat and hear him cuss. That, we didn't want that, but, you know, you're going to be close. Those are grand seats. And so we get to the stadium and we're thinking club seats. We should go down further into the stadium. But instead, we asked the, ask the usher and the usher said, no, you got to go over this way. So we walk over this way and we ask another. Usher, no, you got to get on this elevator. So we go over to this elevator. And we're like, what? We're supposed to be going down. Why is it taking us up? So we get in this elevator. It takes us up and there's this sign that says club. And so we walk through these these fancy doors and we get in there and there's there's this another usher that's a little more fancy. And we say, are, are we in the right place? We have these tickets that say, that say club seats. He says, you're in the right place. Come on in. And he he ushers us into this room. And there is this buffet sitting in there. Fancy buffet. With all kinds of fancy food. And, and it was so fancy. It was one of those ones where at the end, it had a guy who was actually shaving the meat off onto your plate. I mean, it was fancy. We're like, we were here for a baseball game. We didn't know we were here for a banquet. Like, what is going on? And it was, it was club seating where you, you get this fancy meal, all you could eat, all you could drink. And then you go sit down in these cozy, nice plush seats and watch the game from club seating while you're eating steak. I'd never been to a baseball game like that before. I didn't know what I was missing. 
I don't remember what happened the first four innings. Why? I was so concentrating on my food. I didn't care about a baseball game. I was in the club. I was eating grand. But what was funny to me is when we walked in that stadium, we thought we had something pretty good, but we had no idea what we had. Because we weren't looking in the right spot. We had no idea. And here we were with club seats eating steak, watching the Mariners play. And I think with Jesus, a lot of times we're like, that's pretty good. Save me. And then we're like, I'm going to go on my life looking at my device. I'm going to go on my life just looking at the temporary. And Jesus is like, but still keep your eyes. You don't even realize what you have. You have entrance into a relationship with me, the King Almighty. Seek the things that are above. Seek him and his righteousness. And then it goes on and says this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so not only are we to seek him, God's not one of those ones who once in a while it's like, I just need to check in with you. God's like, no, I want, I want your mind continually to be set upon me. That word set is really interesting. You know, last year we built a fence around part of the Hudson property and uh, Mr. Fence Builder Jason here went out to try to do his best job. And so I was trying to think about how to make this fence and I went out to set the post. I don't know about if you know this, but the posts are very important to a fence. You don't do the post right. The fence isn't going to work, right? It's got to withstand wind. It's got to withstand Hudson children jumping over it. It's got to withstand the, the ferocious um, cockapoo dog that we have, you know, all of 15 pounds that, it, that she is. Um, you got to have the fence right. And so I went to set the post and I thought, well, maybe if I just kind of concrete the corners, the rest of them, the rest of the post, I'll just put straight into the ground. So I started putting the post in the ground and then I'd fill some dirt around it. I didn't realize that North Carolina dirt doesn't do anything. I put into this, the, the back the clay that was around it. And when I started those posts, it was just like they were sitting in pudding. I couldn't get them to stand up to anything, not even just the force of my arm. How, much less a fence that had all the weight of wind and kids and a dog. And so I had to go back to all my posts and pull them out of the ground. I had to put them back in and I put down into them concrete. Because the poles needed to stay. They needed to be set. And be firm there. What Paul says here is your mind needs to be set on Christ. It needs to be set on the things that are above. Don't think for a moment you can come in for an hour on Sunday and set your mind on Jesus. And the rest of the week, you just have your mind in the pudding of the world. Think that somehow your life is going to be stable and steadfast. No, this place is like a storm. It's going to send wreckage at you. People are going to be hurtful towards you. You're going to be hurtful to yourself. You think setting your mind on Jesus for an hour? No, it's a continual thing. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this. Be renewed by the transforming of your mind. Or rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That day by day, you have to get up and, and really say, like, today my mind's going to be on Christ. And you get up the next day, today my mind's going to be on Christ. And the next day, my mind's going to be on the Christ. The same way that I should wake up every day and say, I'm going to be devoted to my wife. And the next day, I'm going to be devoted to my wife. And the next day, you've got to do that every day. You've got to do that every moment. Not for a moment do you pull that pole out of the ground, do you? Set it and keep it there. Keep your mind on Christ. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you will also appear with him in glory. First of all, it says when Christ, who is your life, you know what? Without Christ, you have no life. You might think, well, I don't have Christ, but I'm still walking and breathing. That is temporary. The scripture says this life is but a breath and then it's gone. If there is not a, a justification that happens in our life. Then you may have experienced 80 years of eating, drinking, good times, good weather, no gnats even. Then gone because he is life. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it abundantly. But the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. You know, you have an enemy. The enemy is all about death. And he's very good at tricking us into making us think it's life. It's not. Jesus comes and says, I gave up my life so that you can have life. I am your life. You have no life apart from Jesus. And so when your life appears, when Jesus busts through the sky, because part of the prophecies say that Jesus is coming back, that one of these days he will then come through the clouds again and he will come to destroy his enemies and to receive his people to himself and to take them home, wherever home is. But I know this, it's with him. That I know the best place is always with Jesus. In this life, my mind, the best place is always on Jesus. That my heart, its love is always the best place in Jesus. My motivations, my hopes, my passions, my desires, my ways is always best with Jesus. Because what ends up happening in the temptations of this life is that we begin to think that all the things are, are down here are the best because it made me happy for a moment. And what we've begun to do is to say, well, man, I like doing this on earth. You know what I bet heaven is? Heaven is just a glorified version of that. So, you know what, if, if I like eating steak at a baseball game, you know what, I bet all of eternity with Jesus is just about eating steak at the biggest baseball game ever. You know what? I love toys. I bet because I love toys down here so much that what God really intends, the whole reason that he did this was so that because I love toys so much, that they're going to be toys up in heaven. They're all going to be made of gold. And the batteries will never die. We take whatever we love down here and our idea of eternity is that it's just going to be that much better. And you know what? We'll have missed the entire point. You know what's fascinating to me as I think about that baseball game with my family? I look back, I can't tell you one thing that was on that menu. Besides general things, there was meat and salad and this and that. I can't remember the items, but you know what I do remember? I remember the three other people who were with me. My dad, my younger brother, my older brother, JJ and Brent. And you know what's awesome? I can think back to the times we went to Mariner games and we didn't get club seating. We got general admission. We maybe shared a bag of peanuts and a $2 box of licorice. But I remember who I was with. I was with my dad. I was with my younger brother. I was with my older brother. And there was times we went to basketball games and there was times we went out and painted houses and there was times we went around and I can, I can remember all these events that happened but the greatest part I realized about those things when I look back at them wasn't the events themselves. It was who I was with. 
The greatest part about what's happening in your life right now are not the toys that you get to play with or necessarily the experiences that are happening, but the person that you're having them with. I hope that person's Jesus. Because this is the reality of eternity. If you don't like spending time with Jesus right now, you're going to hate eternity. Because eternity is all about him. Seek him. Set your mind on him. Wait for his return. Learn that it means that everything that he's putting into your life, whether it be a stake, whether it be cancer, whether it be the losing of a job or the gaining of a job, whether it be a circumstance that you have no idea how it's going to work out, or if it's a circumstance he told you exactly how it's going to work out. All those things are working together so that you will be with him. It's all about the relationship. It's not about whether you're going to get club seating in heaven. It's not about whether you're going to be playing with a golden baseball bat. It's him. It's everything him. And what's so amazing is as you seek him. Jesus says those who seek him find him. That as you go and you investigate him and you learn about him, you realize just how marvelous he is. Just how beautiful he is. Just how majestic and powerful and almighty Jesus Christ is. And you realize how awesome he is. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. God almighty. And you realize how awesome he is. And then suddenly you realize how little you are. And the reality is. As much as I want to look at the gnats and the mosquitoes. And say why on earth. Did God ever create them? You know, the reality is gnats and mosquitoes have never betrayed Jesus like you have. Gnats and mosquitoes have never adulterated themselves against Jesus like we have. They've never disobeyed his voice. They've never for a moment just taken. They have done exactly what Jesus has told them to do, even if it's bothering you. And so the question shouldn't be, why in the world did God create gnats or mosquitoes? You know what is a more relevant question? Why in the world does God put up with us? Who in every moment would rather seek ourselves, would rather seek the world, would rather set our minds on things that are temporary or things that have lied and said they will exist. Who claim that they're our life when they're not. So when you see and you seek and you set and you you examine and you realize that God is holy, 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 and he's almighty, he's magnificent, he's awesome. And then you realize how small you are. You're the gnat. Why isn't it that we should ask the question, why in the world did God create us? And then when we have so sinned, why in the world would God sacrifice his one and only son for us? And why in the world would he walk with us on a daily basis, even though Jason Hudson screws up all the time? The reality is, is not only is he so supreme in all of his authority and power, but he is so supreme in his love for you. And his beauty isn't one that just sits in all of its glory somewhere far off. But he has desired that he would come and share his beauty and his glory with you. You may wonder, well, 
I want my life to be full of beauty. I, I want there to kind of be a gloriousness about me, not about me, but but that there would be something special. You know what? That's God in you. And that said, when our life appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. That's an awesome promise. In this life, if you're seeking to be satisfied, there's only one place for it to be satisfied, and that's in Christ. Whatever he's doing in your life. Otherwise, you will be searching, searching, searching and never find it. One last thing I want to share with you. This kept saying, seek above, set your mind on what's above, because that's where Christ is, because Christ knows that when we're seeking and setting and longing for him. Then we'll be satisfied. And so I looked up the word things above because it said, seek the things above, set your mind on things above. So I, I did a little word study on things above and in all other places in the scripture, when it talks about those things above, it's always talking about the difference between earth and heaven, that there's there's a separation and that Jesus is there except for one time. And the one time is in the book of John, chapter two, when Jesus, he goes to this wedding. It's a small town, a small wedding, but the whole town comes out. His mom has been invited. Him and his disciples have been invited to this wedding. And so they're at a wedding where at the reception, you know, in our days, if we had have a wedding and you run out of wedding cake, that's an embarrassment, right? Well, in their day, if you threw a, 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 a wedding reception and you ran out of wine, that's a social faux pas. And that's what happened. And so it says that Jesus' mom came and said, Jesus, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, why do you concern me with this? My hour's not yet come. But she turns to the servants and says to them, do whatever he tells you to do. And so Jesus tells the servants this. He says, go take the traditional ceremonial Jewish washing jars. Now, this is something it's like a, a pew or a hymnal where something they used for worship, something that was holy and set apart for their their worship time. Everybody would come and they'd wash their hands before they went into the reception. But Jesus took those things and said, I want you to take those and I want you to fill them up with water to the brim. And do you know what word he uses right there? I want you to fill it up to the things above. That's what he means by brim. I want you to take, I want you to fill that up with water and I want you to take and draw some out. And it says that the servants went and drew out that water and they took it to the one who was in charge of the ceremony. And when he drank it, when they drank that wine, they said, this stuff is good. Usually you serve the best first until people have had too much and then you bring out the bad stuff, but you have saved the best till now. And it says the servants and the disciples, they knew it was Jesus. You see, Jesus enters into this life and it may not be a wedding that you go to where they've run out of wine and he he fills things up to the brim to get your eyes to look up. He may be doing it in the midst of that illness that you're going through. He may be doing it in the midst of that that relationship that's a rub right now. He may be doing it in your loneliness. He may be doing it in something positive that's happening in your life. But what he wants to do is so fill you with an opportunity to see him. That you would not be satisfied with just drinking the wine or the bigger paycheck or the healing that you're receiving. But whatever happens in your life, they would cause you to be filled to the brim with sight of him. Because they went away from that wedding and it says that the disciples seeing what he did to the wine. 
put their faith in Jesus. You see a miracle like that, it's like, where's more wine, right? But the disciples said, he did that from water to wine? I don't care about the reception anymore. I want to know about the one who did it. I want to follow him. I want to seek him. I want to set my mind on him. I want to put my life on him. And it says that all of them disciples, except for Judas, went and spent the rest of their lives being satisfied with Jesus and living out their life for Jesus, hoping for Jesus. And all of them dying for Jesus. This morning, are your eyes on him? Have you given him your sin and asked for forgiveness? And then if you have and you have been raised with Christ, let me ask you this in your life. Are you seeking him? Do you seek your phone more than you seek Jesus? Do you set your mind on pop culture more than Jesus? Do you do you get a song stuck in your head more than you get scripture stuck in your head? Do you desire him as much as you desire? That honey roll. I know that sounds odd. He's to be everything. And this morning, you might need to, just as we close here, you might need to just have that moment where you recognize, Lord, I just see you right now as being beautiful. And I recognize I haven't been looking at you. Lord, would you please just draw me to yourself? And if that's been happening in you, that's just the word of God at work in you. That's what Jesus did was to do the work and then tell us about it. And so if it's drawing you, then come. And I want to invite you this morning as, as we just kind of close in this moment, Sue's going to be playing and you're welcome to, to pray right where you're at. You're welcome to come to the front. But I just want to give you a little bit of silence just where you're at to pray. It's, it's not between you and me. It's not between you and the person sitting next to you. It's between you and Jesus. See his beauty this morning. See his glory. See all that he's done for you by paying for your sins. See what he's doing in your life and come and seek him. Set your mind on him. Bow before him. Pray to him. I want to invite you to come this morning. If you would like to pray, I'd love to pray with you. If you come and pray, I know deacons will come and pray with you. Friends of yours will come and pray with you. You might just need to lay down your life today and say, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, help me to live my life in you. Help my mind to be set apart from you. Some of you are thinking about other things way too much. You're thinking about money too much. You're thinking about work too much. You're thinking about sex too much. You're thinking about your dog too much. You're thinking about a lot of things too much. You need to set your mind apart for Jesus. And so would you bow this morning before him? You're welcome to do it where you're at or up front, but just come in a moment of silence and ask the Lord to take your mind, to take your heart.